It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pope-free edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring as always. And it's presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. Uh, Rick, opening day came and went in this city. They had a parade in the game and not much else, I think, right? With this podcast going on, Skinny, I was looking at the numbers today and I, I was pretty thankful for all the listeners we've had recently. But then I kind of thought to myself, where else are they going to go? Where else are they going to go? I mean, you know, I'm just waiting for Cincy shirts to put that out with with a lot of choices on the back. Where else are they going to go? And then all the different choices you can go to in the summertime on the back, right? Where are you going to go World Tour 2022? <laughs> put, put it on the shirts. Let me just—I don't even know how you want to phrase the question where this is concerned. But can I just say this? What an entitled douchebag ass hat! <laughs> yeah, I mean, by now everyone has heard the comments Phil Castellini made on Tuesday, which was opening day here in Cincinnati. What was your take when you heard the comments? First of all, skinny, and second, what do you believe the fallout will be, if any? I think the fallout is—it will be huge. Um, I, there's a lot of things I think. First off, the, the comments are so tone deaf that he doesn't get it. He really does. I, I did a segment with our friend Chad Brendel yesterday on, on ESPN 1530. I thought Chad made a really good point um, where he said it, it almost as if Phil went to that interview looking for a fight. And Mo Egger, our friend, asked the question. I don't want to call it a softball question. It was not, but it was just it was the it was the question that needed to be asked. Um Phil had to know it was going to be asked, and, and then he was so combative, it was almost like he was wanting to be combative. To say, fans, stop picking on our franchise. Stop picking on my daddy. Leave us alone. Where else are you going to go? I've got money. You don't. We want to make more money. The other thing I thought that was interesting is he brought up the fact of making profits ahead of being competitive in his statement, in his answer. We want to make more money. We want to make a bigger profit, and we want to be competitive. Um, okay, so you want to make money. You want to make money. So it's money, money, and competitive. And I think it goes back to, to, to this, um, you know, no one's putting a gun to your head to have to own this ball club, but the, the fact that you own this ball club, then it is a public entity that people want to believe in, want to love, want to cheer for, want to have civic pride in. And, you know, it's their discretionary money too. And if you put a crappy product out there, they don't have to go chief. It's not that it, you don't have to own the ball club and they don't have to go. In some ways, I think it was nice to get that really honest look into how the family views these things. I, I've seen some of the local media, which I, I'll be honest, I am shocked by some of the things I've heard on the radio and some of the things that have been written the last few days, carrying the water for this organization and Phil Castellini's comments. I don't understand why anybody would support this or try to defend it or back it. it, may, it you never do this. You never make statements like this. You never say something like this to your customers if you're in that position. But you sure as hell don't do this after the offseason you just had. I mean, it's incredibly, incredibly tone deaf. No, that's exactly right. You don't make those comments after this offseason. And like I said, I think he, he wanted to be combative. He, he wanted to um, he wanted to, to try to take up for his father. And, and um, I guess there's, there's some admiration to that, I guess, in a way. But, yeah, after the offseason you had, um, and especially on opening day to answer it that way. I, I just – it was extremely, extremely – um, like thin I said, thin yes, skin. thin skin. It goes back to what I wrote a couple of weeks ago um, of the the discombobulated ownership of Bob Castellini. Listen, 
have a plan, stick to it, let your baseball people do their thing. And, and I think you saw it with, with what they did in, in, the, in, the, in when they came back from the, the labor lockout was, hey, we're going to cut payroll. We're going to start the rebuild. Um, we're going to trade some, some fan favorites to do that. And instead, fans got mad. He said he heard, Kessley said, I heard, you know, your, your, your emails and I read your, your emails and heard your phone calls. And so he tells Nick Crawl, well, Nick, we, we got we to get some better players. Go, go get some guys. So they waste $20 million on Tommy Pham and Mike Miner and Donovan Solano and, um, you know, to, to do what? Make a 67-win team a 71-win team? What, what are, what, that's the thing. What is your plan? And if there is a – let your baseball people stick to the plan. And, yes, fans may not come in the short term. But in the long term, if this was what you think is right for baseball, it's going to make you competitive. Listen, we saw this with the Bengals, Rick. When you win, fans in this city will come. They were fed up with the Bengals too, right? Remember? Fed up, and understandably so. And what happened? Within two years, they become a Super Bowl team, and fans come back just like that. You win, they'll come back. That's what they want. They want a winner. Let your baseball people build a winner. Get out of the way, old man. Get out of the way. Get Phil Castellini's nep- – get the nepotism of Phil Castellini out of there too. Don't, don't trot him out anymore either. Well, I, how could you at this point? Like, they'll never let that guy talk in public again if they're smart. It was just rich, and they fratty, overgrown frat boy behavior. And I mentioned that some of the local media kind of let me down, in my opinion, with how they've followed this up. But to C. Trent Rosecrans' credit, he took him to task and wrote something that was pretty scathing. And then David Roth from Defector, a national outlet, wrote a pretty good piece. And he had this great quote where he said, it is difficult, as it has often been difficult, to see quite what the Reds are going for. Although if it was revealed that owner Bob Castellini had placed a 10-figure bet on his team winning exactly 78 games, it would honestly explain a lot. And that is the <laughs> perfect description for not just this offseason, but the way the organization has been ran, which you just laid out perfectly. I think that is the exact way to describe it. It's like they are constantly caught in this territory of trying to be just under mediocre. Yes, and with a lot of hope, that's the thing with a lot of, Hey, we hope this guy's great. And we hope our young guys are well, no, let's get these guys to a proven point. And then, and that's where I go back to, I don't need you to spend money on Tommy Pham and Mike Miner and Donovan Solano. You want to take that $20 million and save it for four years from now, and you can go make a run at a, a, a superstar player with that $20 million that you saved each year. Great. And I'll go back to this. Stop pleading poor. Unless you want to show me your books, man, show me your books. You want me to believe you're losing money? Show me your books. I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, if they're going to keep claiming the poor thing, like you said, open it up then. And I, I honestly think this is how rich people view a lot of things in general. Like, if you go back, do you remember when LeBron made those comments when he was getting all that criticism? He's like, basically, he said to effect, at the end of the day, you're still going home to your same crappy life and my life is awesome. Right. It's right. just like rich people somewhere along the way lose touch with reality and stop being normal people. Fame really accelerates that. And kids that are born into extreme wealth, well, this is what you get. Phil Castellini. That's right. No, um, I, I know it's, it's, a, it's a phrase that's been used, but C. Trent Rosecrans used it as well in a piece he did in The Athletic. I mean, he's a kid that was, was born on third base and thinks he's entitled to home. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this is so just out of touch with the Cincinnati people, the fan base that you're trying to serve. It just makes no sense at all. I did want to get into Nick Castellanos comments too, because on the same day that Phil Castellini said this, uh, Nick Castellanos was quoted, I, I believe it was by ESPN. He said, it's yes, just it was. 
classic example of ownership using organizations as profit. When there are no consequences for losing, you're not held accountable for your performance. What sucks is in a great city like Cincinnati where the fan base is impeccable, it's suffocating because of ownership. I'm not saying that they are bad people. The system is bad. Yeah, I, I, I don't I, – I, I agree with what Nick Castellano said, but, but I wish he'd have said it when he was here. Um, you know, I, I guess you can't because you're an employee and all those things. And yeah, well, I mean, what, the, the problem with, I, I've seen multiple people say that Doc wrote that in his stupid column uh, the other day. Here's my issue with that. If Nick Castellanos says that while he's in the clubhouse, what do people say about Nick Castellanos? Yeah, that he's a rabble rouser. That he's, he's a, a problem. He's a, he's a bad yeah, locker room. I, I, yeah, yeah, it ruins his value in the market when he becomes a free agent. I don't buy into that at all, that he should be caused. It's on the ownership to put a good team around these guys. It's not on the players to cuss them out in the media and say, hey, these guys suck and they're the reason we're losing. Yeah, no, to cut to the chase of it, I mean, I I do appreciate he at least said something. Um, I'll I'll give you that part of it. And um, I... I don't think it's because he has an axe to grind. So I think there's that too. I think sometimes you get no, guys why would to he? grind. And that's the thing. I don't think he has an axe to grind. I think it was an honest comment from him. The one thing I'll disagree with Nick Castellanos on is I do think that the fan base is about to hold down ownership accountable, Rick. And I, I think you're going to see it by lack of attendance this year. And maybe in the, in the next years to come until they do build a winner. Well, and that's actually a really good point. What do you think attendance is going to look like the rest of the way? They were already staring down a season in which fans weren't excited. Fans were frustrated with the way they handled the offseason. They were they didn't have much momentum in terms of people buying tickets to begin with. What do you think this is going to do to their attendance the rest of the way? I think it'll be the lowest in, in GABP history, period, end of story. It should um, be. And, and I don't think, you know, I, I 1.2 mil, maybe, maybe you'll, you'll get you'll get some bump in, in some weekend summer crowds just because um, you'll probably get a little bump when Hunter Green pitches his first start here. Um, you'll get some Cubs fans to come for Cubs series. Um, you'll get some of that, but I, I think what you saw yesterday and it was announced at 10,000, there was nowhere near 10,000 in the park. And, and again, I get that was weather it's April it's a day game. I do understand a lot of those factors involved, but I think it shows you where the season ticket base is, Rick. And it's, it's probably a hair under 10,000. Um, that's not going to bode very well. Cause I don't think you're going to get a lot of single ticket sales. You're certainly not going to get if a team's going bad, as bad as I think they're going to go. And maybe even worse than what we think they're going to go people with, with whim buys to go do this. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I think attendance is, I think people are going to speak very loudly with their pocketbooks and saying, where else are we going to go somewhere that you're, you're not playing. We're not going to watch reds baseball. So have a good, have a good, have a good season. And if you don't fix it moving forward, uh, we'll be back when you win. And, and I think that's the way it should be at this point. We'll be back when you win. Don't keep telling us to have faith. Don't keep, keep daring us that you're going to move the team. That was also one of the dumbest things ever. They're, the Major League Baseball is not going to let the franchise move. And, and the, you know, I don't need local ownership. I just need good ownership. Yeah, that that threat is such a clown move by owners. I, I, I cannot stand that. That That is a surefire way to make people hate you when you start threatening them like that. Yeah, I and I think anybody can read through that part. I, don't, don't make idle threats, Chief. Listen. He did so much damage with that, Rick, on a, on a time where you needed the fan base to have a glimmer of hope and a glimmer of belief for any good reason or any goodwill that you could provide, and you provided none of it, zero of it. I, I'm, I have zero idea of what was going on or what activities he participated in that day prior to his interviews. I will say this. The fact that he made those comments to Mo, and like you and Chad laid out, he was clearly looking for a fight and looking to instigate something like this. And then he showed up at the ballpark after he had already heard what was being said about it. And it was getting out on social media and he doubled down to TV reporters. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, like what? I have to wonder if there was a little uh, substance going on before he started this whole tour. Like, was he in a right mind when he said these things? Because this is so silly and so dumb to do. I just it's hard for me to believe he actually doubled down on those comments after he had already seen. And then, of course, the organization has to release apology, an apology at the end of the night after the game was over, which was as sad as it gets, quite Wait, honestly, trying to read that apology. You didn't think that was written by Phil Castellini and sincere? Oh, I'm sure he hand wrote it and passed it off to the uh, media room. Yeah. I don't think he had anything to do with that apology whatsoever. No, he pr- they probably, he was probably cussing them out and they had to strap him down to a chair as they posted it. Yeah. I, I, it is really, it was really unbelievable to me. And, and it started with Bob Castellini doing that interview with, with Tommy Thrall on, on reds.com that oh. uh, was, was asinine. And, and like I said, showed just how discombobulated this ownership group has been since it took over. Who's um, in charge of the PR at this point? That's a great question. Who's letting these people do this? Well, who's the yes it, man in there that won't say no to anything? That's a great question. That's a it great question. Good. No, it was, it was, it was very, it's very childish. Um, and it does, it shows exactly what happens. Listen, what would Phil Castellini be doing for a living if he wasn't born into the Castellini family? Honestly, is, is he really, is he qualified to be any part of a baseball, running a baseball team? No, he'd be doing rails in the bathroom of Castellini Fruits and Company. Correct. Counting cucumbers. Yeah. All right. Well, six games into the season as we record this on Thursday they morning, suck. the Reds are in last place in the NL Central at two and four. They split four games with the Braves and have now dropped the first two at home to the Guardians. Let's go through some takeaways from the first week of the season. Start us off, Skinny. What was your takeaway after watching these first six games? Yeah, I'm not going to make a rush to judgment on either Hunter Green or Nick Lodolo. Hunter Green, I guess, for the good. Nick Lodolo for the bad. I, I do think Nick Lodolo, for whatever reason, he looks the part. He just looks like a major league pitcher to me. I, you know, I, I don't know what that. I don't know how to quantify that, Rick. But just watching him, um, he had that bout of wildness, which is really not characteristic of him. Um, so I, I'm, I'm looking for. I, I got more belief in Nick Lodolo than I do Hunter Green. That's probably not fair. You don't Hunter like Green, pitchers that throw hard. That is one thing that is very consistent with you. Yeah, I, I don't mind pitchers who throw hard, but but it just it, it feels just very novelty like, and it seems like t- to me he's got a penchant for giving up the home run ball when he faces guys for a second or third time. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm going to be interested to continue to watch them develop, and, and and I think as a fan, you can't ride the highs or the lows on either one of these guys. Um, I, I think you just kind of watch it unfold, take it all in, and then let's evaluate when it's all over with for the entire entity of or, or length of time of, of, of however long they pitch this season. I think that's that's one of the takeaways. A couple of the other ones are Mike Moustakas is washed up. Tommy Pham, listen, I, I, I'm not going to take the over and just skate though he's washed up, but Tommy Pham doesn't hit third in any decent lineup in Major League Baseball. And the fact he's hitting third in this lineup, A, I think is an indictment on this lineup. And then B, I don't know what you expected out of Tommy Pham. He's 34 years old and he's never been a great player. He's been an okay player. Um, and, and, uh, the, 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 the goods, I guess, are Tyler Stevenson has just been awesome. Um, those back-to-back days, throwing out three runners, stealing in the first game of the guardian series, then having a couple of hits and a homer the next day. Um, I, I think that cats the real deal. Jonathan India doesn't look as patient at the plate this year as he did last year. And hopefully that changes, you know, it's only been obviously a handful of at bats, but I don't think he's taken a walk yet if you're in, and worked a lot of counts, deep into counts. Um, I think he needs to get back to being a little bit more patient. But I think this team is what you think they are. It's just not a very good team. Well, yeah, and 
that was my whole point when we talked about it last week before the, the season started. You just look at the middle of that lineup. And without Castellanos and Winker there in the middle of the order, it is rather unintimidating. I mean, honestly, who's Tommy Pham batting third for and anywhere else in baseball? Nobody. Not a single other team would do that. And that's the whole thing. I mean, like, you can look at all these guys and say, yeah, if so-and-so has a career year and if so-and-so plays better than he did last year and if Joey Votto has another surprisingly good year, then maybe they'll be okay and competitive and get back to close to where they were last year. It's like, I'm so sick and tired of hearing if and maybe they could be not entirely crappy. Like, what is the point? What are they trying to do? I don't, it is, it is exactly what we talked about uh, from that David Roth quote, which is it, they're trying to win 78 games. That is like, when you look at this team, that's exactly who they are. Uh, the, the whole thing with Hunter Green and Nicola Dolo, I'm with you. You can't make any judgments off of one game, but I, I will say, I think flamethrowers that have that slider that tops out above 88 miles an hour, you can get up to almost 90 with that slider like Green has. To me, that's the nastiest stuff in baseball. When you have a, a fastball that's elite, touching 100 miles an hour, and then you have a slider that looks almost identical, but is 10 miles an hour slower and cutting in on you like that, it is, well, I should say cutting away. He really throws it to the righties more than he does the lefties, and it doesn't seem like they can touch it. So uh, that that slider, I think, is the real deal and gives him a chance to be special. He threw his fastball a lot, but the slider definitely looks like a second major league pitch. The changeup seems to need some work. It's only one game. He didn't throw it a ton, but I'd like to see him improve the changeup. With Lodolo, I'm with you, man. He looks like a major league pitcher. That The sinker at the knees seems like a good way to be a consistent pitcher in the big leagues for many years, and he clearly has that. Yeah, and like I said, he had that bout of wild, that one wild inning, and I'm just gonna, I'm chalking that up to nerves, whatever it is. It, it's not it, that's not in his mo. Yeah, and it, um, and it wasn't really like he couldn't find the zone or anything. He right. had two uh, breaking balls that he kind of pulled and hit guys with that were like he hit him in the back foot, which is a thing that it's kind of like whatever, you know. I mean, it's it's kind of a fluky thing. You happen to have it happen twice in the same inning. Okay, you were pulling it a little bit, but I didn't see that and think, oh, that's a guy who's going to struggle with control issues. That's never been his thing. No, I'm I'm with you. Bullpen wise, I I I, uh, I think Tony Santin's found a nice a nice role. And um, I, Art Warren looks like he's picking up where he left off last year. I do fear, though, that, the you know, is he a guy that's going to pitch well but continue to get hurt? That's my only fear with him. But the bottom line is I think both those guys show that they're, they're nice pieces for the bullpen moving forward. Yeah, I mean, my only concern right now with the bullpen, well, it's not my only concern, but my big concern is with so many guys in the bullpen, I just don't know that anyone can get enough pitches in like enough yeah, innings fair. it feels like guys are are struggling to stay in a rhythm and I know it's so early and, and you need extra arms because you're not gonna have your starters go long into games this early in the season but it just it's a long layoff for some of these guys in between their appearances so that concerns me a little bit early for a for a bullpen that's a little bit shaky to begin with uh, you mentioned Mustakas; he looks awful again nine strikeouts and 17 at bats the other person that I am done with, it's Aristides Aquino. I'm done with that experiment. Yeah, yeah, he, he, we yeah. don't need to see him as a regular guy. I said that before the season. I know some people are, oh, we we haven't really gotten to see him in a full season in a starting role. We need to see what we've got him. No, we don't. We know what he is. He strikes out a ton. Yeah, okay, he's got some pop in his bat. He can hit you 10 home runs as a, as a pinch hitter off the bench. I'm fine with that role. You cannot rely on that guy to be giving you starts. 
Agreed. Uh, I think I, I forgot about him. That, that's a, that's, you know, that one month now is a bigger anomaly than anything else. It's a bigger outlier than anything else. I mean, his career is basically, he's going to be a sub 200 hitter that yes, will occasionally run into a, to a pitch and hit out of the ballpark, but is going he's to be Willie Mo Pena. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, he's, he's really not a major league hitter at all. He's just got crazy strength. He's struck out nine times in 13 at bats already. Right. So, no, it's, it's, it's awful. Yeah. I mean, and, and I just don't see that changing much. And yeah, I, I think, I think moving forward, if I'm them, I'm going to platoon Drury and Colin Moran at third base. It's not obviously great, but it's better than putting Mike Moustakas out there at any point. He just, I, I don't know what happened to that guy right when the Reds acquired him, but I thought I thought he'd still have something left. I thought that was a good get when they added him, and he has just been an absolute disaster since they, they brought him in. All right, anything else to get to in terms of takeaways from the first six games for the Reds, Skinny? No, I, I will be interested to see fan reaction when this team comes back from the West Coast because I can't imagine this trip is more than a two-win trip at best. I mean, what if they if they go one and six and come back home three and ten? How do you think the fan base is going to react to that? Honestly, I can't wait to see it. That's that is now aside from watching Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo pitch a few more times here early in the season. That is the most exciting part of this red season for me now is seeing how bad the attendance gets, and I am invested in it. Like I want to see the pictures from C Trent of a completely empty ballpark saying, "Where are they going to go?" Every game, right. I'm all yeah, in no, on that storyline. I am too. I'm with you. All right, let's switch gears here to the basketball side of things. And we'll start with the local college basketball conversation because Sean Miller has put together his new coaching staff at Xavier. It seemed like this exact time last year, we were talking about this same storyline with Wes Miller assembling his staff at UC. And now it's Xavier's turn as Miller retained Dante Jackson, a former player of his who was already on Travis Steele's staff. He also added Adam Cohen from Stanford and David Miller from San Jose State to round out his three assistants. Skinny, what was your take on Xavier's new coaching staff? Um, I, I don't know anything about the other two guys at all. I mean, Stanford's not exactly been a, a, a bastion of great basketball here of late, and San Jose State is bleh. Um, so, I, I, I mean, are these guys great recruiters? Well, Cohen has brought in a five-star in each of the last two classes to Stanford. Well, why do they suck then? Oh, because it's still Stanford. I mean, you're okay. still required to get guys who can actually go to class and get good grades and okay. get good scores on their tests and things of that nature. But he had uh, two five stars who ended up being one and dones each of the last two years. One of them went as a lottery pick, and this year's guy is projected to go late first round, early second round. And then the year prior to – so three years ago, he also brought in Tyrell Terry, who is like a top – 80 uh, guard. He ended up being a one and done. He went as the first pick in the second round of the draft that year. I think it was 2020. Um, So he's done a good job of identifying talent, getting them to Stanford. I think it's an interesting fit because he's been at, you know, an Ivy league. He's been at Vanderbilt. He's been at Stanford. He's been at all big time academic institutions. And when you're recruiting to those schools, it's a little bit different from recruiting everywhere else. You have a very specific set of kids that are both, good enough to play at your level and also qualify academically. But you also have the national brand of a place like Stanford, where if a guy is smart enough and talented enough to go there and play basketball, that's an incredible opportunity that has a national brand to it. And you're not going to pass up on. So I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in at Xavier, but I do think there's a lot of upside. He's obviously recruited really well at a place that's not easy to get really good players to. So we'll see how that goes. And with David Miller, this must be a guy that Sean just really, really likes. 
because he was a student manager on his staff at Arizona starting back in 2010. He bounced around to a couple other places as like a video coordinator, an analyst, and an ops guy. And then uh, Sean brought him back to Arizona for an analyst role and a ops type role. And then he helped get him a job last year at San Jose State after he got fired. And that was his first job on a bench. So he's only got one year of experience as an actual assistant coach on the bench. But the one thing that he does bring, in addition to Southern California ties, his dad is a former uh, assistant coach in college basketball and the NBA, David Miller. And he has international recruiting ties as well. He's done some uh, basketball summits and made connections with those overseas guys. So one thing that I have heard about Sean's idea here in terms of recruiting at Xavier is he's going to be going after international players. And that's really going to change things. Xavier's been very much a Midwestern recruiting program. They get a lot of Indiana and Ohio and Kentucky and Michigan type guys. Now they're going to be looking a lot of West Coast with these two new additions and also internationally. So we'll see how that plays out. I guess my question there is you've had pretty good success with that model in recruiting. Yep. Sean did it, obviously, um, before his first time through. Why the change, I guess? Well, I think there's probably two reasons for it. One, you don't have Travis Steele anymore. So the way Xavier has dominated that area of recruiting is with Travis Steele leading the charge in a lot of ways over the last 13 or so years. Uh, so I think that's part of it is not having him. You, Unless you were going to make up for a guy like him in this area, then you, you might need to look elsewhere. The other thing about it, Skinny, and probably something that Sean picked up on when he went out West is there's a hell of a lot of competition in this region. Butler just added Thad Mata back. He's bringing Mike Pegues. He's got a nice staff coming in. You already know about all the other talent that we talk about on this show all the time, right in this area. It, it's a lot of competition for a finite number of guys. There seems to be less so out West. And granted, it might be hard to get those guys to come to Xavier and stay at Xavier. But if you can, I, I think Sean has built up those contacts over the last decade plus out in Arizona that, um, maybe he sees a little bit of a, a value play here in trying to, to go out West more. And then internationally, I think is something that's really under-recruited at the college level. Uh, was it important to keep Dante on staff in your opinion? I think it made a lot of sense. One, you have a guy who is rooted in this region. So Dante will now become the de facto Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana type recruiter. In addition to the really good work he's been doing in the new England prep school area. But the other thing is he loves Xavier and timing really worked out well for Dante. He has started to come into his own over the last few years as a recruiter. And lo and behold, he happened to land two talented recruits in this very class when the coaching change happens. So if you're Sean Miller and you're coming in, you're thinking, I'd like to keep some of this recruiting class intact. It was a nice recruiting class. Dante offered you the ability to keep two of those guys because he recruited him himself. So I think the timing worked out really well for Dante, but also it makes a lot of sense for Sean and Xavier. All right, Skitty, let's switch over to the NBA side of things. Got a little betting segment here. The playoffs are just about to get underway. I mean, I guess we're kind of technically there. We're in the play-in game uh, segment right now, but the actual playoffs will get underway on Saturday. I'm curious if you like any of the NBA futures bets, if you see any value here. I've got them pulled up from DraftKings here on Thursday morning. I can start in the Western Conference with a couple of the favorites. The Suns are plus 255. The Warriors are plus 850. The Grizzlies are plus 1300. The Jazz are plus 2200. 
Over on the Eastern Conference side of things, you got the Bucks are plus 475. The Nets are plus 600. The Celtics are plus 900. The Heat are at plus 1,000. And the 76ers are at 1,400. Any value in any of those, or maybe even farther down the board that you like? No, I, I like the value of the Sixers at 14 to 1. Um, I kind of like the value of the Celtics, but man, that Celtics potential, well, not potential, that Celtics. Uh, Celtics net series. I mean, there, there's rumblings today that Ben Simmons could be back by game four of that series. Now, will he be any difference maker coming back and having not played? I, I, I can't tell you he's going to be, but it scares me enough to stay away from that. I like the odds of the Celtics. I just don't like that first round series scares me. Does it not? Well, I definitely think it should. I mean, the nets are plus 600. The Celtics are plus 900. So even though right. the nets are a, a seven seed, and no seven seed has ever won the NBA championship. But this Nets team, if there's one that's talented enough to do it, they would seem capable. And the odds reflect that. They're, they're six to one odds. Yeah, if I were to take, I'll take two from each conference. I'm going to take the Heat. What were they, 10 to one? The Heat are 10 to one. Yep. And they still ended up having the best record in the conference. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great value to get the one seed at 10 to one. Yeah. Um, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll take the Sixers then at 14 to 1 because there's a potential Eastern Conference semi between the Heat and the Sixers. So I kind of put myself in a position to get one of those two at least to the Eastern Conference final. And then hopefully, obviously, then into the, the NBA final. So I'm going to take those two teams in the East. In the West, what were the Warriors? The Warriors are eight and a half to one. I kind of like that just because. I- they're they're the team I really like here. They're my favorite. Yeah, if, on the, the board. if the if the band is all together, I I still think they're scary as all get out. They have to get through the Nuggets, and that's obviously a matchup for them. That's probably tough because of Jokic. But still, who who do the Nuggets have besides Nuggets? Second best player hasn't played all year. Jamal Murray, right? Right. It's been the it's been the Jokic show, and he's gonna get hey he's gonna get his, and 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 that's that. Yeah, I like the value of the Warriors. And I'll be honest with you, I like the value of the Grizz, too, just because, I mean, they won a bunch of games without John Morant. Now, maybe that's an indictment on John Morant, but we can also both agree, and I think we will, that he's clearly their best their, their best player. Um, yeah, I, I guess I like the value. I don't like the value of the Suns, even though I think they're the best team, and they're, they clearly showed that by getting the best record in the NBA this year. Um, I just don't like the value there. So I'm going to take the two values, I guess, of the Grizz and, and, and the Warriors and, and hope to get them through to the finals as well. Yeah, the, th- the thing with the Suns is everyone's just saying who can beat them in the West. And it's a it's a legit question. But like you said, there's just no value really at two and a half to one with taking that's the why, Suns. So That's why if, if, if all the seeds play out because the Grizz are the two seed and the Warriors are the three seed, I've, I'm have I'm – Value playing them to get one of those two to the Western Conference yeah. final. Hope they pull the upset of the Suns, and then I have two double-digit odds playing for the finals. Right. You're locking that down on both sides of, of the bracket, which I, I like that idea here. Is on, on the West side, you've got the Warriors and the Grizzlies, hopefully both getting through. You've got decent odds on both of them, and, and assuming they meet up in the semifinals, you're guaranteed to get someone through to the Western Conference finals. And then on the other side with the East, you're, you're doing the same thing with the uh, – you, you like the Sixers and the Heat, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good play. I think the other – so the Warriors were my favorite bet on the board for sure. I think if Steph Curry – the foot injury is a concern, 
But if they get through the first round and they're able to get past the Nuggets, then they've got the Grizzlies in the semi, the Western Conference semifinals with what you would think is a fully healthy Steph Curry or pretty close to it at that point. If you've got Steph Curry in the second round against the Grizzlies, I feel pretty good about your odds there. I don't know if the the Grizzlies are a solid team. I don't know if they're quite ready yet to make that run uh, through the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, I don't. The Warriors either, have just been there, done that. Yeah, I just the, the Warrior injury bug feels like it. Just they can't shake it. But yeah, at some point they're bound to get some good luck though, right? I mean, they've been dealing they, with it nonstop for so long. It's like this is kind of the first time that it seems like their health is aligning at the right time. So who knows what happens in the playoffs? But if they happen to be healthy. I uh, I like that value play a lot right there. They were 10 to one just a couple of days ago when I looked at this. They're down to eight and a half to one now. So obviously other people are seeing that as well. I, I honestly, too, I don't hate the Nets at six to one in the East. I know they're a seven seed, but you just look at that bottom half of the bracket. Yeah. I just, I, I just don't see them getting past the Celtics. I just don't. I, again, I, I know that there's the optimism now of Simmons possibly playing in that series, but like I said, that hell that might be um, subtraction by addition to be quite frank. I'm, I'm fascinated to see what that role looks like because. Yeah. Wouldn't they, you like to have ironed that out in the, in the, in the regular season though? I mean, as, as opposed to, to throwing that dynamic in, in the middle of a playoff series. Definitely. But man, if you, I mean, if you just use him as a guy who's like running, they, they've had the ball in Durant's hands so much recently, right. which I like. I, I like Durant as a decision maker and more of a get the defense focused on him because it's impossible to stop him anyway. Yeah, and he's if, willing to give it up. I mean, he had a triple-double the other night. Exactly. And if you have a guy like Ben Simmons running the baseline, cutting, using his passing with, with the defense not focused on him, I think he could be a really dangerous piece. We're seeing some other guys on that Nets team kind of fill that role right now, and they're not as talented or as physically gifted as Ben Simmons is. It could be interesting. So I don't love the Nets at six to one, but I I, I like it. I love the Warriors eight eight and a half to one. If you could have gotten them early at ten to one, that's even better. I don't know. I don't. I don't love anything in the East to be honest. The the East just. I don't either. It, it it's it feels like a bit of a crapshoot this year. Really, the Heat. Coming in at 10 to 1, that's not a bad call by you. That might be the best value play in the East. Just go ahead and take in the one seed at 10 to 1 odds. Pretty tough to get that in most years. So I think that that's maybe what I would do is just go with the Heat, the Nets, the Warriors, and then my other pick over in the West. I think I would probably do what you did and go with the Grizzlies just to lock down that bottom half of the bracket. Yeah, like I said, if I can get 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 lucky and get everybody through, I, I got potential double-digit odds playing in the finals. Sign me up for that. Yep, definitely. All right, let's do some Ask Any Anything. We've got a, a handful of questions to get through here, and a lot of them focused on a topic that we already addressed, so I'll run through a couple of those questions, starting with Skinny, where are you going to go? Where are you going <laughs> to go? Uh, also, what is your favorite fruit from Castellani Company, LLC? Um, you know you know what's funny? I'm not sure I've, I've ever purchased fruit, fruit directly from the Castellani Company, so maybe it's my fault that they don't have the money to run the Reds right. And I rarely go to and I rarely go to games anymore. So maybe it's maybe it's all my fault. Well, that's good. He should have pointed that out, really. I think people yeah. could have gotten behind this is Richard Skinner's fault directly, more well, so than no where are you yeah. gonna go? Where are you gonna go? Um, I, I would I would directly tell Phil a lot of places other than your damn ballpark to watch your crappy product. How about that, Phil? <laughs> 
in light of Phil Castellini being a great A moron, what's the most tone deaf sports comments you've heard, Skinny? Um, that was right up there. Uh, Mark Shot had a few a few years ago, as we know, pretty well documented. Um, none directed towards fans, um, just directed towards being a racist. Um, uh, yeah, I guess her comments were pretty tone deaf. I got one. I mean, it's not as severe as this, but I, I think it's a great Cincinnati tone deaf sports moment. Mick Cronin asked about coming up short of a sweet 16 after the Nevada game. You remember that whole deal? I do. Doesn't matter to me. You care about the sweet 16. I don't. <laughs> what? He well, cares about I- winning a national championship, not a sweet 16. I just like the, like, again, his point that he will tell you, it, okay, I get where you're going with it, but it's just tone deaf to say that to fans after you flamed out in the second round again and gave up a ridiculous lead to say, I don't care about the sweet 16. I've got friends who are sick in the hospital. Basketball doesn't matter. I mean, I like that was like always his go-to is there are more important things than basketball whenever he was losing. Uh, but yet when things were going well, then it was like the most important things in the world. And he was ready to fight his own players and stuff. He was ripping their jerseys off. So who knows? I mean, it was just incredibly tone deaf by me. Yeah. Sam Weish had one, I believe it was his last year as, as Bengals coach. Um, I think they got off to an Owen three start. Um, and his comment of there's, there's golf to be played. There's tennis to be served up. Basically, saying there's more. There, there's there's better things to do than 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 watch football or coach football. Um, and that that didn't come come at a very good time when things were not going well for him. That was that was pretty tone deaf, to be honest with you. Yeah, I already brought up the LeBron comments when he was just yeah, right, basically like, right. "You guys are still gonna have the same crappy problems in your life tomorrow." So right. I'm gonna be rich either way. Um, all right, what is one travel destination that is on Skinny's bucket list? Cuba. Seriously, uh, that's my grandmother's Cuban, uh, my uh, late grandmother. Um, I never, she and my uh, my parents would, would go there on vacation back in the mid to late 50s before Castro took over. I've got a ton of pictures from them on those trips, and I just want to go back to see where she came from. I, I, I mean that sincerely. I want to go to Cuba. All right. I would like to go to Hawaii. I know that sounds cliche and dumb. Uh, just- and the answer to that is yes, you do. I've been four times, and um, – it's not on my bucket list because I've been four times, but yes, you, it's, it's, it's a must go to. There's no question. It's, it's, you'll be, you'll be breathtaking. And, and it's not just, and the thing that I remember my mother did this the first time we went and my parents worked for the airline. So I was fortunate. We got to fly to a lot of different places um, because of that. And I remember we went to Hawaii when I was in high school and my mother wanted to go to three different islands, which I thought was pretty cool. So we got to see three different islands um and and i would suggest people do that i don't, don't just get stuck with a honolulu or just a maui uh if you can try to touch on some of the other islands too it's it is it's breathtaking it's awesome yeah I, it's cliche to say but it's it's the truth that's where i was and i'll tell you I, I got the best of all worlds one year when my company got to pick up the dime for it uh my wife was working for the airline then so she got a chance to travel we we had our our daughters were quite young my actually my youngest was what was she two maybe maybe three uh, Kentucky played in the Maui Invitational, so I got the best of both worlds. I got to go out to Hawaii for a week plus and got to cover basketball. And on top of it, because UC was playing at Hawaii in football, I covered that game. That was the famous Rick Minner. Uh, this is a disgrace quote came from that 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 game. That was the, the big on-field fight with Hawaii, and I was there covering the game. So I got the best of all worlds on that trip. Some college basketball, UC football in a fight, and, of course, Hawaii. Nice. You can't, can't beat that. Skinny, it's a what? disgrace! <laughs> What sportscaster do you hate the most and why? 
Uh, Mike Greenberg because he's got the most punchable face ever. I don't. Again, I, I don't know why I keep saying I keep bringing him up. I love that. I he, can't stand him either. He, he just has the most punchable face in the world. Also, this is perfect because it's one of those moments where you just go completely off brand. Because I think everyone would think you would like Mike Greenberg. I know. I just he just has that that little smarmy punchable face to him. Like I know more than you know, and I'm gonna, I want to say no, you don't, and I'm going to beat your ass for it. <laughs> is there anybody that calls games that you can't stand? Gotta be honest with you. I hate to do it. I hate John. I can't do John Sadak. I just can't. I can't. So I just can't. I, I actually uh, yesterday it was funny because I was I got a call from Byron Larkin on the phone. We were talking about Xavier stuff, and I was happened to be watching the Reds game right at that moment. And just before Byron called me, there was a moment where Sadak is always doing these things where he's talking about like Star Wars or he's talking yes. about video games or in this case he was doing a, a wrestling reference and he was doing a Jim Ross I impression. I heard, I heard it and I couldn't. I'm like. Dude, stop. It's a baseball game. I don't need you to be Mr. Pop Culture Funny Guy. Stop. You're not funny. And the best part of it is... Is Barry is Barry shutting up about it? He just goes silent. He just leaves yes. that pause there to linger out there with no about. comment. It's like an awkward three seconds where Sadak's waiting for a laugh or a follow-up, and Barry just goes silent and be like, I'm not co-signing that. Let's get back to baseball. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's fantastic. It happens a lot throughout their broadcast. It's probably my favorite thing that happens between them. And I actually think they have a good chemistry. I think they work really well together, but that's always funny when I hear Sadak go off on one of his nerd rants and Barry's just like, I'm going to act like you didn't say that. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Skitty, Gene says he pays a company to clean his trash cans. Does that make him bougie? And also, what's the most bougie thing that you do? Cleans his tree, pays a company to clean his trash. You can't just rinse them out yourself. Well, I actually think this is a pretty cool idea. And and a kid I went to high school with, I don't know if this is the guy that Gene is using, but a kid I went to high school with actually launched a company where he like got a patent for a truck where it looks almost like a, a mini garbage truck. They come by, it picks up your trash can, it puts them into their like sanitation steaming system and it shakes it around a bit and cleans it off and it plops it back down. And you've got this beautiful pristine garbage can. I think that's actually a pretty good service. It's relatively inexpensive and it's something I don't want to do. Garbage cans are gross. I don't really want to touch it. I'll be honest. I don't clean up my garbage can more than once a year. What's what you throw garbage in it. What's it supposed to do? It it starts to smell, especially if you got animals, you're throwing food away in there. I don't, I don't hate this move. I think it's not that bougie. Yeah. I think it's pretty bougie. I'm not going to lie. I, I will say you do you, Gene. I mean, I, if you like a clean garbage can, good for you. I just, it's a garbage can, man. It's that's what I like it, Gene. Garbage. I like it. What skinny, what's the most bougie thing you do? You know me. I, I don't think I do anything bougie. I, I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> uh, all right. Final one here in honor of le- the legend, John Lomax retiring. What's your favorite memory involving Lomax? I, I will say this, how his hair has changed over the years, right? If you see him from back in the early days, he had kind of the big afro to where he's now the elder statesman with just the hair on the sides. He's he is. I'll tell you, he is a genuine. You work you work in the newsroom uh, overnights a lot of time, Rick, where, where you interact with John. There is no more genuine good dude in the business than that cat. Yeah, that's the truth. I, the truth is the real good stories and the real memories I can't actually share on a podcast. Oh, no, dude, he is a funny. Great. He Very is a funny, funny guy. Very funny, uh, really relates well to everyone, but he was the therapist. I worked on the Good Morning Cincinnati crew, basically, on overnights, and he is the therapist for everybody 
that works through those shifts. I mean, people have uh, contract issues. They're coming into John to talk to him about what they should be doing. People are mad at their bosses. They come in and talk to John about what they should be doing. I mean, it's just a nonstop parade to his office when he gets there. He gets there at the same time every single morning. It's like 3.58 or whatever time he's supposed to be there. But he gets there the same exact time every single morning. You could set your watch to it. And then... I, you know, I didn't really have anything important going on. I was just like a lowly digital guy. So it was usually if John and I would just talk about sports. Yeah, he but loves he's sports. A yes. Great yeah. basketball guy, yeah. really knows his college basketball. So we would just constantly, he'd come in in the mornings and it'd be like, did you see this game? Did you see that? Did you see the highlight? Whatever. And we would just have a conversation about that. I mean, there is, like you said, no better guy in the world that you will find than, than John Lomax. And this city loves him. Yeah, and it's weird because because when I did some sports anchoring, obviously he worked mornings and I would be working nights at that point or weekends. So I didn't interact much, but I've gotten a chance, obviously, the last few months with the Bengals making the Super Bowl run and they wanted me to come on before the Reds opener to do some morning show segments with John. And I feel pretty honored and, and that, that I got a chance to do some stuff with him towards the end of his career. In fact, I was in whatever it was the day before opening the first game last week, last Wednesday, I guess I was in. And I, I literally, I said before with the segment, I said, how many more days? And he gave me, he goes, I could actually give you how many more hours. I said, well, good for you, man. You've, you, good, good luck. Cause uh, you, you've, you've earned a chance to sleep. He goes, I can't wait. I said, I told him the story of my dad. I said, my dad was always an early riser and he would leave for work. Uh, he worked downtown for American airlines, but he, he, he would always leave for work at like seven. Um, he just one of those guys. He was an early riser, got to work early, all those things. And I remember when my dad, my dad retired early, he retired at 55 and I, I asked him, I said, what are you going to do on your first day of retirement? He said, I'm going to let the alarm go off and I'm going to slam it and I'm going to break my, my clock radio and go right back to bed. And that's what he did. And I said, I said, think about that. He goes, John's like, oh man, that's not a bad idea. He goes, he goes, especially the time I do it. He goes, I just can't wait to do that, to look over at the clock and go, I ain't got to go nowhere, no time today. I'm like, yes, that's, that's how it should be. Especially at three in the morning. Yes. I mean, that just getting, it changes your entire life and he's been doing it for decades. Yes. And, and listen, I did morning radio for 13 years and, you know, I, I know um, uh, I, I, I missed the interaction of that, I guess, to some degree. Although I, I got to be honest with you, Rick, the first few days after I stopped doing it and I look at the clock, I go, huh, I don't have to go anywhere here at 3.30 in the morning. Good for me. Yeah. No, I, I'm looking forward to John being able to like watch a basketball game that starts at 8 p.m. and not have to think about staying up to watch the end of it. You know, stuff exactly. like that. It just it's nice to get back to some normalcy. So I hope he enjoys his retirement. He has been an awesome, awesome dude to work with. No question. No question. All right. That's all I got. All right. Well, Phil Castellini, uh, I hope you choke on your words, you stupid idiot. Um, and I hope you hear this, too, because you are an absolute douchebag ass hat. I just want to say that one more time for everybody. All right, thanks to uh, Rick Roaring. I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition, presented by Ryan Keith with my mom.